Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Are you enjoying this all-in series? I am enjoying it personally. It's the, the study that we've been walking through with Ezra and Nehemiah has been significant in my life and just going through. I've, you know, I've, I've read these books before. I've walked them through before. I've referenced Nehemiah you know, and, and building and all, all of those things. But walking through it, the Lord has been giving just fresh revelation to my life. And I want to encourage you in that because it's, it's the power of the word of the Lord. When we look at the Bible, we need to recognize that we're looking at God's word to us, his inspired word to us. It is relevant. It is true. It is applicable. And I heard this testimony from somebody who they were talking about how their, their dad, uh, since they'd given their life to Christ, uh, reached through the, the entire Bible every year. And so he's read through the Bible 40 times so far. Isn't that incredible? And here's the thing. He said, I just read it through for the 40th time, and here's something new that God told me as I was reading it through. It's powerful. Engage with it. Engage with it. We're going through it very quickly, but I, I, I encourage you, boy, get in a group. Get involved. Get engaged. Allow it to transform your heart and your mind. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to be continuing. If you've been with us, you know that we spent the first four weeks in Ezra. And the reminder that Ezra and Nehemiah, they used to be one, one, one book. So uh, Ezra, we looked at week one, and we talked about how all in brings up opportunity to us, right? All in begins with is an opportunity that God gives us to engage with him. Week two, we talked about how all in, it also brings opposition. Everything that you do, whatever it is, wherever it is, there's opposition that comes with that as you start moving. Week three, we talked about how all in brings order, the establishing of the law. It's the manual, right? You know, there are people, they go off and I'm going to figure this out on my own, but eventually you come back to the manual. <laughs> like, why is this not working? Uh, week four, we talked about how all-in brings temptation to compromise, the enemies at work to bring about compromise in our life. We talked about how we overcome that through the Lord. And then we went to the book of Nehemiah, and we talked about how, in week five, how when you go all-in with the Lord, that going all-in positions you. And it's that, recon that recognition of wherever you are right now, the Lord has strategically positioned you for his glory and to just pay attention to where you are and how the Lord would use you right where you are. Last week, we talked about how all-in brings responsibility as a follower of Christ. There's a responsibility that comes with that as Nehemiah went and started surveying the wall. And this week, in week seven, we're focusing on how all-in brings partnership. When you go all in with God, you quickly realize that we need other people. We need other people, and we need them in our lives. And especially as we look about and we look at the responsibility of seeing what's broken and the things that are broken around us as, as followers, when I walk through areas and I see the hurting, there's a responsibility that comes to that. When the Lord reveals things to you, he reveals it in order to use you in powerful ways. And so today we find Nehemiah where he's, he's inspected the wall and, he's, and now he, he's going about this process of rebuilding it. And as we talk about partnership today, I'd like to encourage you because I think for so many of us, we've come through a difficult season of two years, two years, and there's things that we continue to walk in that are two years. And, and I want to encourage you to take this lesson from Ezra and Nehemiah. We need to do some surveying in our own lives. Everything begins here. But as you survey and as you look at it and say, Lord, reveal to me those areas that need some attention, that they need some repair. 
my encouragement to you today is to not do it alone. We need each other, don't we? We need each other. Not because we're perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one is perfect. If someone says that they're perfect, they just lied. And they're not perfect. <laughs> we walk in this, but we are filled and empowered by the Lord. Don't, don't be alone. Because here's the thing that we know. One of the key things that we need is partnership. When we go all in with God, when we say yes to God, one of the key things that he does is he partners us with others because all in, it requires partnership. And see, Nehemiah, he was undertaking this difficult task of rebuilding and restoring the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Now, walls to us are kind of a weird thing today, right? I don't have a wall around my house. Uh, I don't expect the, the fence when I walk out in the morning, except that I want to make sure my dog didn't get out, you know. But apart from that, I'm not really, that, it, it really doesn't mean anything to me. But in the ancient world, it's important to recognize that the walls represented safety for them because there was, there was always attack going on. There were warring nations that were surrounding them. Uh, there were wild animals that came through. I had a coyote come through my backyard when I had chickens one time, but we, we, we made it. It's okay <laughs> walking through. I was surprised it was there, but we made it. But back in that day, their enemies, wild, wildlife, even weather things. And a broken wall, it sent a message to the world around that they were broken and it represented a past brokenness. So when you would come up on a city that had a broken wall, you immediately saw that there's brokenness here. And if you were an enemy, you saw an opportunity. It made them very, very vulnerable. In chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we, we read this list, and it's a list of all the gates. Because though there was a wall, there was many ways of coming in. There was business that was conducted around the walls. There was transactions that would happen around the wall. So many things happened. And so we, we see this list of about 10 gates and also about 42 different groups as Nehemiah starts organizing and putting, putting things in place. Uh, just some of the 10 gates very quickly. Uh, there's the sheep gate. There's the fish gate. I'd probably be there. Uh, there was the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, uh, fountain gate, water gate, horse gate. Not water gate like this, you know. That's not a political reference, okay? <laughs> Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. The horse gate, the east gate, and the inspection gate. So we have a little over 40, 40 different groups working on it. And as we look at this, it's important for us to recognize that as, a re, as we look at Nehemiah, one of the key things that he did, one of his key strategies in going forward was partnership. Can Nehemiah do it alone? Impossible. There's no way he could do it alone. He recognized that having strong partnership, having this cohesive group of people, groups of people working together was going to be vital. And we need to understand this, that if we're going to go all in with God, we're going to be all in when it comes to partnering with each other. No man is an island, right? No person is an island. We need to recognize we need each other. The importance of partnership it's so important that it's clearly and repeatedly stated throughout the Bible. This is the way that God made us. God made us to operate in partnership. We, we see this from the very beginning, way back in Genesis, right? Back in Genesis, we see that creation was collaborative because in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make human beings in our own image. We see in Genesis chapter 2 that God created us to be with others. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I would say a big amen to that. My wife's out of town this weekend. Uh, she went back to Indiana for a wedding shower uh, with my son and our future daughter-in-law. And uh, it's not good for me to be alone. So I had two dogs and three kids. So we made it. We're making it. She's coming back tonight, praise the Lord. We also see that partnership, though, brings safety. 
partnership brings safety. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for the toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the person who is alone when they fall and does not have someone to help pick them up. We need each other. See, the enemy knows that if he could isolate you, he can own you. I mean, we see this from like, you know, I mean, National Geographic says this all the time, right? There's this pack of animals coming in, and the wolf comes in, and it looks for the weak one, and it tries to separate it out because if it can separate it out, then it can win, and, it's, it, and it has a meal for all of them. And I wanted to just underline that because one of the key things that the enemy is going to try to do is try to isolate you from the body of Christ. Because he knows if he can isolate you, he can destroy you. Don't allow anything to isolate you. If you're walking through challenges and difficulties, boy, please, please talk to somebody. Talk to me. Let's get engaged because we need each other and I need you here. I need you here. Partnership protects us. We also see in Proverbs 27 that partnership also, it makes us stronger and it makes us more effective. You know, my dad said this all the time. He said, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's this effect that we need each other because, like we talked about last week, right, a lot of times you get so caught up in just doing that you feel like, man, it's becoming dull, it's becoming there, and there's this sharpening effect, there's this strengthening effect that happens. We're made stronger. When we are, are together, we're stronger, we're more effective. We have access to a greater pool of knowledge. We have access to more skills, more experience, and a greater network of like-minded people. We also know that partnership, it enables people to focus on their strengths, Right? When, when it's just you alone, you have to be an expert in everything, right? But it's just the whole adage that, you, you, you know, uh, you do many things, but you master no, nothing. <laughs> How many of you had to reach out for help, whether it's your home or your car or school or whatever? I've had tutors in every area of my life, and I'm like, God, thank you. We need each other. We need each other. And not only that, it's enabled me to focus on my strengths, my abilities, my passions. Not that there's times that we all have to help out in not so many areas, but partnership enables us to focus, to find the passions, to bring those to life. As it relates to partnership, we also know that partnership brings ownership. See, Nehemiah, again, he wasn't building his own kingdom. This was not his wall. This was not his gates. He was about building the kingdom of God and bringing in partners. It expands this level of ownership. This, this, it expands this uh, opportunity for responsibility that we have in building this. We also know that partnership makes it lighter. You share the burden. There are things that we were never meant to carry alone. We need each other in this. But as it relates to partnership, just like everything else, and this will be a similar theme that we will see every time that we go to Scripture, that as we engage in partnership, when we engage in the things of the Lord, even though we know it's the right thing to do, partnership will be attacked. How many of you have had partnership attacked in your life before? <laughs> Whether it's a friendship or a relationship of some sort. When you are engaging in partnership with somebody, guaranteed it will be attacked. Anytime you move forward, when you go all in with God, you can just plan on it. It is going to be attacked. And I think this is especially true in this area. Again, and this is one of the key areas that Satan attacks us in the body of Christ is in this area of partnership. I mean, we just talked about very briefly how partnership is powerful. We know that partnership is vital. It's important for us to be together. But the enemy knows that if he can separate us, he can conquer us. But in order for partnership to work, there has to be unity. Have you ever tried to work something out with somebody that they, they did not have the same focus as you, they did not have the same ideal as you, they weren't headed at the same place as you, 
The partnership was a rub, wasn't it? Because when there's a lack of unity, often it can be like, man, it'd be easier for me just to do this by myself. Have you ever said that before? I'm just going to do it myself. No one loves me. We need partnership, but we need to be in unity. That's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he was continually stressing the importance of unity and in building and establishing all the churches. Every church that he planted, every church that this community came in, he had his common theme of you need to be unified together. I mean, to the Corinthian church, he said this. He said, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. In Philippi, he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then the church in Ephesus, he said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called, with all humility, all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. See, in all these areas, he's speaking to it because unity is always being attacked. Unity is always being challenged. And he's saying to all these churches he planted, you need to work on it. You need to work on it because we need this in order to go forward. I mean, that's why our enemy works so hard and strategically to separate us. Divide and conquer. It's the oldest trick in the book. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, when the church is revived, so is the devil. When there's a good work of the Lord that's taking place, and I'm sensing that throughout our community, and I'm hearing this from so many other communities where, where there's a sense of, of the Spirit of God is moving, where people are they're, they're, they're confessing their sins and saying, Lord, strip me down. Take away everything that is not of you. And there's this, there's this strengthening that's taking place to use us for building the kingdom of God. Just as we are revived, the enemy is revived because it's an attack on him. It's an attack on him. And so as we look now to Nehemiah chapter 4, I think it's important for us to recognize the attacks of the enemy so that we're not surprised, as Jesus said. He said, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. These things are going to happen. They're going to take place. So don't be surprised for them. Just be ready so that you can overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. So how were they attacked? How was Nehemiah and all these 42 groups attacked? Well, one of the first things that stood out to me was they were mocked. They, they were simply mocked. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, 1 to 3 says, Sanballat, right? Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. Rebuilding the wall, leader of the northern Syrian. Very angry. And here's what he did. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do you hear the mocking and the sarcasm in this? Right? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And then, so, and then Tobiah comes in. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing right beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along top of it. <laughs> right? You, doesn't this sound like elementary schoolyard? You can't make that shot. You'll never do that. I can beat you. I can put you over with my little finger. I mean, 
right? It's very elementary, very schoolyard behavior. I mean, this amounts to demeaning the person. You're no good. Everyone's laughing at you. You don't have any friends, right? You don't, you don't even know how to build a wall. It will never last. See, unfortunately, this, this area of mocking, if it's not dealt with, can come back to haunt us. This is a tactic from the beginning. Have you ever had a passion that you felt a gifting that God gave you you can start using and someone start mocking it? You're no good. God will never use you in that way or you could never do that or you're out of tune or whatever, whatever it may be. I think we all have stories like that, but we, we need to recognize that as it relates to mocking, mocking is all about repositioning because it repositions the mocker to a place of authority where now they're speaking down to you and it suppresses the one who's been mocked to a place of, oh, of that submission to the mocker, the one who doesn't even like you, they're not for you and they're pressing you down. This is about repositioning our life. And see, many of us, we've, we, we've experienced this. I've even experienced this in my life. You know, I'll, ne- I'll, never, I'll never forget. And uh, um, I say this not, not so you go, oh, poor little Dwayne. But I say this just to remind you of things, of things that do happen in our life. I remember, you know, I, I grew up in a, a small town, less than 5,000 people, wonderful church, wonderful people, and we would have Sunday school on Sunday afternoons, and we would come together, and it looked huge at the time. It looked like hundreds of people, but there were probably just 50 there, and the kids were there, and I would come in elementary with my music, and I would give it to the lady playing piano and saying, I have a song to sing for everybody today. And... <laughs> I can't believe I did that. And so I would get up and I would sing and I, you know, in my mind, I, you know, I'm just this little kid. I'm going, this is great. I have my microphone at home that I would practice with. I have my Ernie and Bert, you know, record player that I would sing along, Sesame Street sing along. And I was ready to go. I didn't sing Ernie and Bert. I sang a different song. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was going great. I loved it. I loved it. it was, I was growing in that. I was practicing so hard. And then one of the sixth, sixth graders, those blessed sixth graders came up to me and said, you know, Dwayne, you're really terrible. Everyone's, I know, right? Everyone's laughing at you in the back. <laughs> brutal, brutal, right? Yeah. Crush my heart. So we walk through. But here's, here's what happened, okay? Here, here's what happened. And it is I stopped singing that day. Now, for those of you who know me, I've, before I became lead pastor, 25 years, I worked in worship and creative arts, leading worship, leading choirs, leading different, different things, and had a wonderful opportunity to work with so many people in music. I gave up on music that day. And I illustrate that to say, you need to pay close attention to the mocking in your life. That maybe there's something, even as you're saying now, that that the Holy Spirit is bringing something to your memory, that there's a gift I placed in you to be used for me that you let a mocker take away from you. Don't allow mockers to take that away. Now, fortunately, I had some great mentors come along and, and start kind of building up some gifts and and enable me to go study music and, and have just wonderful, wonderful times with that. But I thought, you know, what if I'd n- I never had somebody come and encourage me? Someone who say, you know what, no, I see a gift in you. Because God's given you all gifts. Don't let mockers pull that away from you. If the Lord's given you a gift, yes, you need to train it. Yes, you need to hone it. And yes, I was probably terrible. They may have even been saying things that were true. But I say that to you, that if you see a gift in somebody, you need to recognize there's a lot of mocking going in place. If you see somebody that, has, that you even see that the Lord may be using that for them, you need to go and encourage them and say, you know what? I see this gift in you. 
How can we steward this well? How can, how can we encourage you in this way? How can we help moving forward in this way? Amen? Amen. That's just there. If that's you today, receive that from the Lord and walk on. They mocked them. Secondly, the other thing that they did, they attacked them through false friendships and alliances. And this is a tough one because we, we all want friends, we all want people to connect with us, but sometimes as we go along the way, and especially as we start moving out, going all in, there will be people who will pretend to work with you. They'll pretend that they want to work things out, but they really have an ulterior motive to steer you away from the things of the Lord. And here's what it looked like for Nehemiah. It started off with a polite, with, with a polite invitation. In Nehemiah 6, verse 2, it says that Sanballat and Geshem, they sent this message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the, in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? See, they were just trying to lure them in. When that didn't work, they moved to manipulation. It says, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. He said, there's a rumor, right, trying to manipulate now through lies. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and this is why you are building the wall. So now they're starting to get rumors going. They're saying, everyone's talking about you. Everyone's, you know, this is what you're really doing here. But when the manipulation didn't work, when it would still not move Nehemiah from the wall going, I have a work to do, why would I come down? Then it goes to intimidation. So it started off with a polite invitation, moves to manipulation, and now intimidation comes in. Are you seeing a pattern here? And here's what it looked like. It said, according to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me right now. That's my word in there. Do you hear the intimidation in that? I asked you politely. I asked you again four times and the fifth time. I said, people are talking about you. But now this is enough. Come down. You need to come talk to me right now. Listen to what Nehemiah said in verse 8. He said, I replied... There's no truth in any part of your story. He immediately attacked it. There's no truth. This is lies. You are making the whole thing up. He said they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. <laughs> he looked us square on with the manipulation, with the politeness, and with the intimidation and said, you're just lying, you know, like you could stop me from doing what God, do you hear the confidence that's coming? And it's a confidence not just coming from him, but where, he, again, he's going back to, you know what? God has given me authority. God has given me provision. God has called. Who are you to try to get me down? Do you think you can act just like an elementary school kid trying to mock me and then try to come in to intimidate with me? I've got a work to do. And it says in, in the end of verse 9, it says, so I continue the work with even greater determination. Wow, what a response. Because i got to be honest with you, I saw that, and I immediately felt my knees and said, God, forgive me for giving up when a little mocker comes into my life, <laughs> right? Because we've all been there. Someone mocks us, and it hurts deep, and sometimes there's a little bit of truth in it. And we're like, oh, God, I can't, I can't go on anymore. Somebody said something bad to me. Somebody said something mean about me. I don't think they even like Canadians, God. What am I going to do? Everyone loves Canadians, but they don't. I think, yeah, amen, right? But here, here's what he's saying. He's like, you know what? 
It's lies. You're a mocker. Even all the more, you're trying to intimidate me? I'm going to work even harder. Shouldn't that be our response? God speaks to you. He gives you authority. He said, I've got provision. Just start walking. This is my path that I've laid in front of you, God's path in front of you. You start walking, the provision is going to be there. Don't let a little mocker come in. Hang in there. Hang in there. All the more. All the more. Because, see, here's what happens. If we don't have that response of all the more, God, you're with me. Not arrogance, right? God opposes the proud. Watch out for that. <laughs> but walking in the Lord in humility, yes, God, all the more. I've got to work to do. I'm going to keep going. If we don't deal with it there, then the attack can come internally because they were also attacked through complaining. This is them themselves complaining. And see, complaining is one of the biggest things that God hates. We see this throughout Scripture. so many verses. I could just fill the screens with verses about how God hates that complaining heart. And, here, and here's why. When we complain, it distracts us from God. Who's our source? God. Who's our hope? God. Who's our provider? God's our provider. When we complain, we're distracting ourselves from God. We're no longer looking to him. We're no longer seeing him. His purpose and provision in our lives, it's hidden from us. It's still there, but it's hiding because of our complaining. And not only that, when we complain, it distracts others from God because we're no longer reflecting who he is. It's no longer when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's that trust that reflects in the middle of it. See, complaining shuts down the work that God is doing in our lives. Not because he hasn't changed, he's still there, but we have shut that door. We have shut that door. And this is what happened next. Nehemiah 4 said, Then the people of Judah began to complain. And here was their complaint. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. There's all this trash around. How many have complained about trash not being picked up in your house? I've, I'm, my name is Dwayne, I'm a sinner, and I've, I've done that. But and here's what they said. The complaint was, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. See, I get it. I understand that when we're in the battle, we get tired. <laughs> when we're in the battle, how I many you're, you're tired, right? And sometimes you're so tired, I can get up here and do all the Canadian jokes I want, it's not going to make you feel better. You're tired. And see, when we get tired... That's when we get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, we start to complain. <laughs> we start to complain. And again, I feel like I need to qualify something here because when I talk about complaining, I'm not talking about asking your why, right? Complaining is not someone asks you to do something and you go, well, can you tell me why we should do that? If someone says that, you shouldn't point, at, point their finger and say, Pastor Dwayne talked about complaining this past week. You shouldn't do that. No. Why is a great question to ask. This is also not about when you're going through a very difficult time that you're going to somebody safe to just, I need to just process with you in a minute. Do you get that? Right? I'm not saying just walk through and someone says, how you doing? You go, everything's fine. <laughs> if it is, great. I'll celebrate with you. But if not, if you say, you know what, I've had a rough week, that's, that's not complaining. You need to find those safe places. Go to a pastor, go to your group leader and say, man, I'm going through a tough time. But that's different because you're going, you know what? I need to find a way out of this. 
there's something going on. Am I thinking right about this? Or is there some action that need to take place? But I need to go someone trusted, not gossiping, right? You, you, this is about you talking about you, going and talking to somebody. I need some help here. We need that. I've done that. How many have done a lot of that over the last two years? Right? You found those safe people. We need that. That's not complaining. When we talk about, about complaining, what we're talking about here is, is we're talking about, about where you're you're, you're just, everything is just bad. Everything's there. I'm not processing this. It's just, it's never going to happen. It's, it's over. It's done, you know. I'm not processing. I'm openly complaining about it. And see, the challenge with this is what the Bible talks about murmuring, right? It's murmuring. Oh, it's terrible here. You shouldn't go to that church. That church is terrible. Pastor Dwayne, not funny right? It's the complaining where your heart is turned. You're resentful. You're no longer seeing things accurately. You're angry, and it turns to gossip, and it's separating. Do you see the difference in processing? (laughs) Not with everybody, right? With the trusted person, and this murmuring that takes place. This is why complaining is so toxic, because it destroys your life, and it destroys the lives of everyone around. We also need to recognize that as it relates to complaining, it, complaining makes us vulnerable. Here's what was happening. As they began to complain, the enemies surrounding them, here's what they said in Nehemiah 4 verse 11. They said, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. They're going, the plan's working. They're complaining. They're going to be vulnerable, and we got them. See, complaining causes us to lose focus, no longer leaning on God, no longer trusting his voice. This is exactly where the enemy has us. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome in the middle of this? We overcome, and this is the answer in every part of our lives. We overcome by focusing on God. We overcome by focusing on God. When I focus on myself, may God help us all. But when I focus on God, here's what's happened. He said, then as I looked over the situation, Nehemiah said, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, here's what he said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's what Nehemiah is saying, don't be afraid of them. They have nothing. We have God. God is with us. God is with us. Fix your eyes on him. Psalm 121, and I was listening to this song song this morning as as I was just eating my breakfast, reading my Bible, and petting my dog. Psalm 121, where does our help come from? The Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, he will not stumble and he will not sleep. Focus on God. We need to focus on God. We need to wake up. Recognize that God is with us. He is for us. He has a process for us. But not only that, not only did Nehemiah said, focus on God, he said to him, get back to work. Get back to work. We have an incredible opportunity here. God is with us. Nehemiah 4.15 says, we all return to our work on the wall. Don't stop your work for the Lord. We have partners. You may need extra help. You may be swinging a hammer and say, I need some more help right now. I'm, just, I'm having a hard time focusing on holding that nail. Would you hold the nail while I hit it? You may need some partners, some people around you. But we need to get back to work. We need to stay engaged. Don't let the enemy keep you down. Don't let that mocking just echo in your mind. Get with somebody. Process that out. 
We need to press on in the middle of it all. But we also see this lesson from Nehemiah that as it relates to overcoming, overcoming didn't mean they ignored the threat, right? They didn't stick their, hand, their head in the sand and go, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. They didn't ignore it. Here's how they responded. It said, but from then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears. You're going to work, you're going to protect. They stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and another hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted in their side. And so many times this is how we operated. We were walking with the Lord, but we've got a shield up in front of us and saying, God is with us. So we walk forward. We're doing the work, but at the same time, there's an element of protection. And there's times that we do that in, in protecting ourselves. There's times that we do that in protecting our family, but we still press on. See, Nehemiah, he assembled his warriors and equipped those who were working. He didn't ignore the problem, hoping it would go away. So he knew that faith doesn't mean ignoring. Faith means that we obediently and faithfully engage with what God has called us to do, trusting him. I don't ignore it. I see the fire, but I press on. See, sometimes we hope that God would just snap his fingers, done. What else can I take care of for you, Duane? Anything else you want to eliminate from your life, right? That's not how it works. And I found in my life, this is not typically how God works in my life. There's times that I would be like, you know what, if I were God for a day, right? God's like, no, we're not going to do that. We just want things taken care of. Remove it, God. Remove it, God. Remove it, God. The Lord's going, no, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to reconcile your enemy. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray that they come and they're reconciled with me. There's a work that God is doing. But see, that's why Scripture reminds us that we're in, we're in the fire. It's not about God getting rid of the fire. God's saying, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. This is Isaiah 43. It says, but now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, the one who forms you. Do not be afraid. I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, what does it say? I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What's God saying? He's saying in every circumstance, his promise is, I will be with you. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They looked in and said, there's a fourth person in there. They're protected. There's nothing touching them. They don't even smell of the fire. Can you imagine if God just struck everything out? What miracle we wouldn't have to lean to right now that in the middle of the fire, he's saying, I will be with you. I will walk with you. See, trusting God means that we never surrender to all those that oppose us. We never give up because he is with us. And the other thing, as we close with this today, as the worship team comes forward and as the prayer teams come forward, here's this last one that I, I, we need to get a hold of this. How do we overcome? We overcome by reaching out for help. Isn't that hard to do sometimes? When you feel tired, when you feel like you've been isolated, when you feel all the things that you're feeling, sometimes reaching out for help 
It's so hard for us, right? We, we say, oh, I don't want to bother. They're so busy. He's got kids. He's, he's got two dogs. He's got whatever. <laughs> we need to reach out for help. Look what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, he even enlisted a trumpeter. He looked at the trumpeter. He said, the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. He said, then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along this wall. Here's what he said. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. He said, then our God will fight for us. What's Nehemiah trying to tell us today? He's saying that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. When you ask for help, you are revealing that you care. You're like, I care enough that I'm not willing to go down with this. I need some help. I'm willing to say, I don't know. I need help. Just, I'm not going to give up. When we refuse to ask for help, we're saying, you know what? It's not important. That's the voice of the mocker. The voice that God says, I've created you, you are mine, you are made in my image, you're my child, I have a plan for you, there's passions in your life, and you're going to need help. Ask for help. See, when you ask for help, it also reveals that you don't want to be alone, that you value partnership. I value, I trust you. <laughs> and coincidentally, the people that are praying for you today, I've had to go to them at times and ask for help, haven't I? <laughs> And they've never turned me down. You need it. I need it. We need to ask for help. See, when you ask for help, it also reveals that we're all in this together. We're together. There's nothing like someone coming and asking for help because the opposite. Have you ever tried to help somebody that didn't want help? They wouldn't let you help them? Normally call those children. <laughs> you got it? Yep. <laughs> well, everything around you is saying something different. I think that's why as it relates to asking for help, it's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity, right? I got nothing to prove. It deals with insecurity. When you're insecure, you want to give this false thing out there. When you're mature, you're going, hey, I don't have it all together. I need some help. How many could use a little bit of help right now? Anybody? I could. I'm, I'm raising both hands. If you're in trouble today, you need to sound the alarm. That's why we're here. That's why these people are here. Sound the alarm. We're going to head into this response time. Engage with the body of Christ. Engage with friendships. These people have prayed for you already. Proven people. They've helped me. They want to help you. And they want to help you by pointing you to the Lord and saying, let's, let's just pray together about this. Maybe you've got some mocking in your head that you need to deal with. Come forward for prayer. Turn to the person next to you. Go to somebody and say, you know what? There's voices in my head. They're not going to think you're crazy. <laughs> okay? You know what I'm talking about when I say voices in the head? There's always that, there's that internal dialogue that's going on. It's often just rooted in, you're no good. If anybody found out about that, they wouldn't want to be with you anymore. Here's the truth that sets you free. When you confess it to a trusted person, the healing of the Lord begins to move in that moment. 
You silence the mocker when you expose it. You keep holding on to it, that's going to grow. Deal with it now. Get with somebody. Where do you need to be reminded today to go all in? Let's respond to this. Can we all stand together, Holy Spirit? I pray that you would give us the courage in this moment to respond. God, that the voice of the mocker would be silenced. Lord, that the passions and the giftings of this community, Lord, that they would be realized, they would be spoken to life, that the things that we sought were dead would come to life in Jesus' name. Help us to respond. Do your work as we respond today. Amen. I'm going to stop talking so that you can respond. Several ways to respond. Prayer. Start praying it out. There's also communion. This is the reminder that Jesus died and he rose again so that you can have life to silence the voice of the mocker. Go forward. Take some communion. Bring it back to your seat with you. Maybe you need to take this and say, would you do this with me today? And it may be an act of forgiveness. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry for mocking you. (laughs) Whatever it is. Engage in these moments. Maybe you need to go to the prayer wall and say, Jesus, heal me from this. Forgive me in this. But let's take some time to respond. Amen. Lord, we are servants and we are listening. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. The Holy Spirit seals our heart and reminds us that we are His. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness. It's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, that we would not ignore you, but that we would be filled with your Spirit, empowered by your Spirit, equipped, equipped by the Holy Spirit. Use us, O Lord. Lord, I continue to pray this healing, Lord, that let the voice of the mocker be silent. Help us to recognize it and to respond like Nehemiah, you speak no truth. (laughs) Mocker, you are a liar. Not only that, more than ever before, I'm inspired now to work even harder for the Lord. I'm inspired now to even go more all in, to be more dedicated. In Jesus' name, yeah. You need to recognize that mockers mock what they're threatened by. They mock what they think is getting more attention to them. There's jealousy. There's so many things behind that. Don't allow the mocker to have a voice in your heart. Be like Nehemiah, why should I listen to you? (laughs) Why should I do that? But you need to reach out for help. You need help. You need help. I need help. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Lord, seal our hearts. Seal our hearts with this truth. Amen. We're going to dismiss here in a minute, but uh, the prayer team is going to stay here. If you want to come up and pray, they would love to pray with you afterwards. We've, we've had so many people that after we dismiss, they've stayed and they've just prayed. If you need to go, don't forget your children. Make sure you get them before you leave. That would minister to them and save them from years of <laughs> doubt. <laughs> But engage with this word. If the Lord spoke something to you today, let me encourage you to write it down. Don't just rush out. Just take the connection card, fill it out. You can keep it for yourself as your notepad. You can put it or write on your phone or something. Or if you want to share, here's what God spoke to me today. 
You can do it online through our church app, whatever. I mean, you're smart people. But write it down. Write it down before you get caught up in the conversation. What do you want to do for lunch today? Write it down. Take it. Pray over it. And then go to somebody that you care about, someone you trust, and say, here's what God spoke to me today. Would you pray with me about this? And just watch how the strength just rises up in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and acting in that moment. Amen? Amen. See him clapping. Yay! Amen. I mean, I love you all. Lord, again, I pray. This is your word to us today. Help us to flow in this. Listening to you, identifying the lie and saying, that's a lie. (laughs) I'm no longer going to be held captive. In Jesus' name. This is our benediction. Let's say this before we leave today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.